I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome to a very special episode of Land Grant Holy Land Podcast. We don't really have a name for this one because this is kind of off of our normal podcasting schedule. It's a special holiday week episode and, even more so, a rivalry week episode. My name is Matt Tamanini. I am joined by George Eisner. Did I pronounce that right? Is it Eisner? Yes, you did, Matt. Right. You got it right, right. on the head. Thank All you. Right. Well, we wanted to talk about some of the bigger issues that is facing Ohio State football as they go in to not only their game against that team up north into the Big Ten championship game and then presumably onto the college football playoff. But as we are just one day away from the biggest game of the regular season, George, I wanted to kind of take your temperature about how you're feeling about the game against the Wolverines. I would have thought going into the Penn State game that both Penn State and Michigan would have been completely smooth sailing. The game against Penn State was not so smooth. Now, it was pretty much a dominating performance other than the fact that they had those two turnovers, or those three turnovers, but the two that led directly to the scores. Has that result against Penn State changed your opinion about what you expect to happen on Saturday in Ann Arbor? It has not. Um, Last year, I'm generally pretty confident when they go into these games Last year, I thought they were going to get cremated. Uh, you know, the defense last year obviously had a lot of holes in it. Michigan came in playing very hot football. I expected to lose. And then we saw one of the most lopsided performances in the history of the rivalry in favor of Ohio State. And that kind of, you know, gave me a bit of a reality check in terms of where we're at. And where we're at is Jim Harbaugh's on the precipice of being the first coach in the history of this rivalry to go 0 and 5. And, I'm so I'm so sad for him. Yeah, boohoo. <laughs> but I, I, they don't scare me that much. Uh, I thought Penn State was going to be a much more difficult game, and it didn't end up being that. I thought Wisconsin would be a more difficult opponent for them, and that I think was the case as well. 
I look at Michigan and relative to what Ohio State doesn't do well, and really the only knock that I think you can put on the Buckeyes consistently throughout this year has been their uh, pass protection. And Michigan's good at rushing the passer. They're very good at it, and I expect that to be a problem for Ohio State. But the thing was, that was a problem in the Penn State game and in the Wisconsin game. They gave up five sacks in the Wisconsin game, and they still won 38-7. to And I think if you take away a lot of those fumbles that they had against Penn State, you're looking at a much more... 38 to 7 ish, so to speak, result similar to that Wisconsin game than what we ended up seeing being a little bit closer to the uh, comfortable against Penn State. So I'm, I, I think that the fact that they're so dominant running the ball is they're going, they're just going to be able to control the game script. And I'm not, I'm not nearly as, uh, non enthusiastic about the result for Ohio State as I was last year. And I, th- I think that they're in good shape. Yeah. I tend to be, as level-headed as possible, I you know I, I I don't tend to get too worked up either positively or negatively about the team. I try to stay as level-headed as possible. And as I've seen Michigan continue to get better throughout the season, really from that line of demarcation at halftime against Penn State, they've played much better football than they did in the early season. So that is something that is a bit of concern. But I was listening to uh, 4 to 6 with A and B, the Athletics Ohio State podcast, and Bill Landis said something this week that just immediately put everything into perspective for me. And that is the fact that last year, Ohio State's offense completely toasted Michigan's defense in terms of team speed. And while Don Brown made some substantive adjustments to the Michigan defense because of that game, it's still the same people. <laughs> it's still right. the same talent. All of their best players left. So, and I don't think any scheme changes can change the speed factor. We've seen Ohio State make some incredible scheme adjustments on defense this year, and it has paid dividends. But they didn't all of a sudden get faster. They didn't all of a sudden get more athletic. And I think Ohio State, against anybody in the Big Ten, you know, including Penn State and Michigan, just has such a substantive talent advantage that unless they play an absolutely, the opponent plays an absolutely perfect game, an absolutely perfectly coached game, it's going to be next to impossible to shut down Ohio State's talent. So I, I think that's what kind of brought me back to thinking that, yes, it might not be as much of a blowout as I thought it would be maybe after week four or five, but it would still take a monumental effort for Ohio State to lose this game. I will say I don't I think that this is probably a bit of a slower offense than the one that we saw last year where Haskins was totally throwing fair. the ball all totally over the fair. yard. Obviously Fields is much faster than Haskins is and that definitely gives the offense a bit of a dynamic, but I think that you know with all the receivers that they lost uh and obviously Absolutely. they reloaded and they've had they've all had great seasons in their own right, but they don't they don't really have that guy that's a burner. I, we we think that's Jamison Williams, but obviously he doesn't have the role in the offense, at least yet, uh, that you would expect for them being able to burn deep. It's been a lot of, um, you know, smash mouth football this year with J.K. Dobbins and Master Teague the third, and they've been using the run game to set up a lot of great play action. And there's still a lot of you know mesh concepts and you know getting guys open over the middle. And Fields has been able to deliver really great balls, but I do. At least in terms of the offense having that speed advantage, I don't think it's quite there. Um, but you know they've they've absolutely run over every team in their path this year, and they've played some of the best run defenses in college football in both Wisconsin and Penn State. And they and until they give you any reason to 
doubt that they're going to just run over everybody, which they haven't yet through any of the games that they've played. I think that they're just going to keep doing it. Michigan's obviously, they've got a more than respectable defense, but I, I don't think I would put it quite on the tier that Penn State and Wisconsin have had, at least with respect to stopping the run. So I would expect them to still be, even though they're not going to, you know, I, I, I don't think we're going to see 60 points like we did last year. Uh, I don't think we're going to see, you know, one of the receivers get the ball in a sweep a la Paris Campbell and just take it to the house and just make guys absolutely look gassed on the other side. But I do think that you're going to see what you've seen all season, which is just they're going to pound them into submission and it's going to pay dividends in the second half when the defense starts to get a little more tired and the and the offense and the run game is still rolling. And yeah, I I so I don't know if it'll necessarily I don't think team speed, at least on offense, is going to come into factor. Defense, I definitely think that it will more so. But to your point, it that would be more because of the schematic changes and the you know implementation of zone coverage and whatnot than uh, any sort of reloaded personnel. The other thing that I want to quickly point out is that I you know I know that they're on a nice little four game win streak here and Shea Patterson is starting to unlock their passing game a little bit but Wolverines I, ain't played nobody is that what you're saying I I don't think that they've really I they're I I don't know what their most impressive win is this year I mean because they Notre Dame I, th- I mean it'd I be Notre our, Dame right I, I I'm look that Notre Dame game they were playing it was night game in a freaking Ann Arbor hurricane, and you could just tell watching that game that Notre Dame did not want to be there with a hundred thousand people screaming down their throats. You couldn't see the wind and the rain was so bad you couldn't even see in front of you. And when you're playing at home and you're dominating, I mean that's a very fun environment to be in. But if you're on the road, I mean there's nowhere you would rather be anywhere else in the world than in that game. And you could tell pretty pretty quickly that that game was going to get away from them and it did and since then i mean they put up 38 7 on maryland that's great ohio state dumped 70 on them when they played maryland michigan state they walloped them 44 10 but they came in on that that was the end of a five game losing streak i believe when they lost to michigan so i i think that michigan state had really lost a lot of their pride at that point they definitely weren't as sharp as they were when they were playing ohio state earlier in the season I mean, that just leaves a 39-14 win over a sneaky, good Indiana team. And I I don't know. I, I, that's a team that Ohio State was able to throw on, too. So I, I haven't really seen yet Michigan prove that they're going to be able to, uh, with, the except, with the possible exception of the Notre Dame game, that they're going to be able to hang tough with the teams that are just as physical, if not more so, than they are. And in the two games they've had against Wisconsin and Penn State, where that's been the case, they've lost. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's true, but I, I do think that this team is playing a different brand of football than it did earlier. How substantively different? We'll have to wait and see. But I, I do think they are, if you just watched those first few games when they got destroyed by Wisconsin, when they barely beat Army, like I think the team is different. The one thing that might be a bit of a mitigating factor in all of this is the fact that they are expecting some sort of wintry mix in Ann Arbor on Saturday. And that would really negate a lot of what Michigan does on offense and would play very favorably into what Ohio State does on offense. If it has to be a game that is decided on the ground, I feel very comfortable with A, Ohio State's run offense, because I think J.K. Dobbins is the best running back in the country, hands down. Don't give me any of this Jonathan Taylor tailback crap. Uh, (laughs) And then I also think, obviously, 
Justin Fields is going to run. On the flip side, I think that Ohio State's defensive line gets a lot of praise because of what Chase Young does rushing the passer, but they've also been incredibly stout in terms of rush defense. They have, Absolutely. you know, they, they, they are one of the historically great units, defensive units in the history of college football. And I think that if that comes into play, I trust Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins over whoever uh, Shea Patterson and whatever running back uh, by committee they roll out in the maize and blue. Yeah, and I, I would caution, I don't believe that Michigan's offensive line is necessarily elite at anything. And they're no. off, I, I think looking at, uh, I, I took a look at some of the football outsider stats with respect to their offense, and really the only thing that they're elite at is not, letting drives become three and outs they're usually pretty good about getting at least one first down out of their drive and but i and they've gotten to your point they have got they are playing much better football than they did at the start of the season they were implementing a new offense they were still kind of looking for their identity i remember i think it was around the wisconsin game urban meyer said on the fox preview show that it really when you're implementing a new offense it really takes about five or six games to get it rolling I think it took a little bit longer for Michigan to get to that point, but I think that now they're starting to see they've got their big play receivers and they want to go to those guys and give them opportunities to come down with big jump balls and get chunk gains. And I I, I don't anticipate that being a good strategy against Ohio State, but to their credit, they definitely have a more acute sense of identity on offense than they did to start the season. That being said, I don't think that they're necessarily elite at rushing the ball or passing it. Uh, their passing game definitely a little more improved right now, and they might be able to play catch up if they have to. But in the event that some kind of freak occurrence happens where, you know, you're looking at a result like or not a result, but you're looking at events that happen similar to the Penn State game where Ohio State, for some reason, has a case of the fumbles. I don't anticipate Michigan being able to play ball control to hold a lead. So I think yeah. that they're probably going to end up if they have to play catch up, they could at least make the game competitive. But even if Ohio State falls behind early, I would expect them to be able to control the script of the game and mount a comeback. Yeah. Real quick, I want to touch on the fumble issues that Ohio State had against Penn State because this is not a turnover-prone team. This is not a team that has had a ton of turnovers uh, throughout this season. The one thing I will say, though, is I was a little disappointed, and I wrote an article about it and got a lot of people who agreed with me and a lot of people who didn't agree with me, that the play calling in the second half of the Penn State game was concerning and a little confusing. And the one reason I want to focus on with this is you can read the whole article for the other ones, but is the fact that on that first fumble, we saw a helmet hit Justin Fields' left hand, his non-throwing hand, and throughout the game, we saw him continually shake and stretch and wince uh, that left hand. And why the decision was to continually let a quarterback with an injured, uh, granted non-throwing hand, but a, an injured ball-carrying hand continue to run the ball was a little concerning for me, especially because, for the most part, he didn't have to. Like, I think Ohio State still would have won fine if they continued to not throw the ball in the second half like they didn't, but gave the ball to J.K. Dobbins or Master Teague. I, I was a little concerned because I felt like that second fumble was directly related to them continually giving the ball despite the fact that he had an injured hand. Hopefully he will be fine for this for this game coming up this weekend. He obviously got a little hurt on that last sack. Um he's got he was practicing with some sort of 
brace or contraption or sleeve or something on his leg uh, earlier this week. So we'll see how he looks. But I was a little concerned that it kind of played into the fact that throughout the season, Ryan Day has continually tried to do everything he can to protect Justin Fields, hasn't let him run a ton early in the season, has gotten him out in third quarters or before the fourth quarters. And yet in this game, I felt like he put him in some unnecessary positions to take some hits. But yeah, I I think that if you took the over on Justin Fields having 20 carries against Penn State, you probably should have bought a lottery ticket on Saturday because yeah, you're some kind of crystal ball psychic. Yeah, um, I I would hope he doesn't run that much again. Um, I I can't. It's at this point, I'm not really sure which way they're going to go with game plan because Penn State's run defense was. Yeah, much unquestionably yeah. the best part of their team, and they still ended up giving 36 carries to Dobbins and 21 to Fields, which, I mean, 57 carries between two ball carriers and in the why? same game. I don't want to rehash the Penn State game, but but why? Uh, Justin Fields was 16 of 22 throwing the ball, and it had at least two drops, and he only threw the ball eight times in the second half. I understand that it started raining a little bit more, but they moved the ball fine against Wisconsin in the rain, and I don't think the rain was nearly as bad as it had been. In the previous game, I just I, I don't understand why they weren't throwing the ball. Obviously, they didn't need to. They won. That's fine. But it just it was it was strange. It was oddly conservative from a coach who has been incredibly not conservative throughout the year. But- well, I think I think Ryan Day, you know, you, you've talked about he's tried to protect fields. I think he's also, at least in the case of that game, was trying to protect his offensive line, because if there's one Achilles yeah, Hill this team has had all year, they were they're great run blocking, but their pass protection has been consistently subpar. And Penn State has a great pass rush. They've got a great front seven. And I think that he did not want to have to put the the um, result in the hands of, I mean, you know, Fields throwing the ball is obviously important. And I think we would have liked to see him throw a little bit more given we know Penn State's corners have been struggling of late. Correct. But I think that he didn't want to put Fields and I think if he yeah, probably said, look, if Fields is going to get hit anyway, I'd rather have him get hit for yards gained than yards lost. And that's a really unfortunate position to be in. But I mean, when you're as talented as Ohio State is, I think you can afford to be uh, or take those risks. I will say fumbles are inherently a little bit random. Um, you know, yeah. I think Dobbins, that was only the second one of his career that he had in that game. And, you know, Michigan had a lot of fumble problems early in the year, particularly in their game against Wisconsin. And that's something that they, I think, have slowly been able to rectify as the season has gone on. So, you know, if the team's throwing a lot of interceptions, then you can kind of begin to say that a team's definitely got some, you know, issues with turning the ball over. If you see a consistent rhythm of fumbles over a season, I think then you can probably say there's ball security issues. But, you know, I, I think the Penn State game more than anything was a fluke. Um, I fields, I think has done a pretty good job of taking the care of the ball for the most part this year when he hasn't gotten hit from the blind side or anything. And I, I don't anticipate another fump, another series of fumble ruskies uh, against Michigan, but you know, they're inherently random. So we'll see. Well, I, I think the, the recoveries are more random than the fumbles themselves. Uh, I would because- Yeah, because I think there's no, there was nothing random about the first fumble that Justin Fields had going into the end zone. That was a fantastic play. Uh, or I mean, maybe not even fantastic. It was just a perfectly squared play, uh, for the defender's helmet to hit the ball. But we've spent too much time on the Penn State game and that game's over, so it doesn't matter. Um, (laughs) but we both feel like Ohio State is in good shape to beat Michigan. 
whether they beat Michigan or not, they are still going to be in Indianapolis for the Big Ten championship game. So they're still to be decided who the opponent will be from the Big Ten West. You have Minnesota and Wisconsin playing each other on Saturday. I don't think Wisconsin's all that good. I don't think Minnesota's really all that good. But I think that Minnesota is at least more interesting because I think P.J. Fleck doesn't give a crap and he's going to play with house money and do whatever he wants. So I, I don't know from a from an Ohio State perspective who I want to see them play because I don't think it really matters. I think they'll beat both of them fairly handily. But from an entertainment factor, I think I'd kind of like to see Minnesota beat Wisconsin. I would absolutely rather see Minnesota in the Big Ten title game if for the only reason that it is incredibly difficult in college football to beat the same team twice in a season. I'm not sure the last time Ohio State had to do it, but I do know that I believe, I'm not sure if it was Archie Griffin's junior or senior season, but they played UCLA early in the season, had a chance to win a national title, and had to play UCLA again in the Rose Bowl and lost. Now, I know I'm digging up, you know, games from the 70s for that statistic, but I I just do not feel comfortable about a team having to play a team again when that team can go back and say, "We have everything on film from a little over a month ago that we did wrong, we can get it corrected, we can do it right." especially with a team like Wisconsin that knows exactly what their identity is going to be. It's Jonathan Taylor bust. And, you know, they've, they've stuck to that Minnesota. I think before they uh, lost to Iowa was on pace to be one of the worst, arguably the worst undefeated team in the history of college football, their early season results, even though that, you know, obviously it was a while ago, Still can't be denied that they had three games against really subpar competition this year that they really let hang around too close. The Big Ten West is not on the same level as the Big Ten East in terms of competition. I don't think that they've seen a team nearly as good as Ohio State all year. I anticipate that Wisconsin will beat them. We'll see what happens. But I know that I would much rather, I'm pulling for Minnesota because I would much rather them have to play uh, two teams have to play each other that haven't faced each other yet rather than Ohio State saying okay we need to improve on what we did well against Wisconsin versus Wisconsin saying here's what we need corrected and if we follow if we get this stuff corrected this is how we can beat them and they're going to want to they're going to want revenge for that pretty much every Big Ten title game loss that they've had against Ohio State in recent history as well so I that's just the way I feel. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
I did some quick Googling, and this is coming from Reddit, so take it for what you will. Um, but since 2005, there have been 62 times when teams have played each other twice in the same season, and the regular season winner is 32 and 30 in the rematch. So effectively a coin flip. Right. Now, the one difference I will say is um, when one team is substantially better than the other, I, I have a feeling that those numbers are uh, a little more skewed where I think Ohio state is substantially better than Wisconsin. Uh, and I'm not super worried, but to your point, Wisconsin has the, the experience advantage in having played Ohio state. So maybe that might be in their favor. I'm not super worried about either team. And I also, I'm not super worried about it having any kind of impact on, Ohio State's ranking either. Ohio State is number one in the college football playoff, and I think as long as they win out, they will remain there. There is the kind of some people, including ESPN's Mike Greenberg, who says if LSU beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, they'll have five wins against teams that at the, that time had been in the top five, and they should earn the number one spot. One, Texas is one of those teams that was in the top five when they played them. They're terrible. Um, secondly, Ohio State is going to have games against number 13, Michigan. Minnesota is currently number eight. So if they win, they will at least stay there, if not move up. If Wisconsin beats Minnesota, they will probably move from 12 where they are now. If not into the top 10, at least up a spot, because you would imagine Minnesota would drop behind them. So Ohio State will have beaten the number eight team, the number 13 team, and then presumably a top 10 or 11 team in a row. So I, I don't think that that really plays into it either in which team Buckeye fans should hope that Ohio State plays in the Big Ten title game to hopefully secure their number one seed in the college football playoff. So for me, it's all about what's going to be more fun to watch, not only in Indianapolis, but also this Saturday. I think it would be just hysterically fun to see P.J. Fleck row the boat all over Wisconsin. Uh, I Wisconsin is up there in my top three most hated programs and has been ever wow. since they put quarters in marshmallows and threw them at Ohio State players and fans. So they're up there with my Penn State and Michigans as the teams that I hate the most. Uh, you're probably too young to remember that incident, George, but I am an old man and remember that um, not so fondly. So... Anyway, all right, so that gets us to the college football playoff discussion. Assuming Ohio State beats Michigan, beats whomever they play in Indianapolis in December, that should put them at the number one team in the country. I am kind of of the opinion at this point, George, that we're going to see chalk from here on out. I just don't see, obviously, Clemson's not going to lose. I don't see Georgia being able to pull the upset um, against LSU. So you'd imagine those top three teams, which I think are clearly the, the best three teams in the country. And then I think there's a significant chasm between them and everybody else. But if those three teams are in, then there's going to be a kind of a fight for that fourth spot. Cause clearly it won't be Georgia. Who's the current number four. So then you've got Alabama who's in the mix at number five right now. You've got Utah who's number six. And then I guess you've got Oklahoma assuming Utah and Oklahoma win out. From your perspective, who do you think should take that fourth spot? And who do you think will if those two teams are different in your mind? I think it should be Utah. Uh, if we get into another situation where we're favoring two SEC teams, one of which didn't even get to play in a conference championship game over two teams that have won, presumably will win conference championships, 
we either need to go to an 18 playoff or we need to have a serious discussion about who's making these uh, selections with the committee. It seems absolutely asinine to me to leave out a team that lost on the road uh, in Utah to USC. I was actually, when I was living in Los Angeles, I actually went to that game. So I, it's kind of funny for me that I got to see yeah. one of the potential college football playoff teams lose in person this year. Um, and they lost to USC's third string quarterback. I think the Slovis or whatever the true freshman's yeah. name has got knocked out on the second snap of the game. So not not the best game for them, but in the road, LA Coliseum, you know, they're and, they're uh, Utahians. They, you know, they're yeah. they're blinded USC's by big lights fairly, or whatever. Yeah, USC's been pretty good this season. I mean, not they're, they're not, good not, not great. Yeah, I mean they're they're not a terrible team, surprisingly enough. No, I don't think so. Uh, and I, I mean, you know, the, all those sentiments that you just said about Wisconsin is pretty much how I feel about Oklahoma. I hate them. And <laughs> if Jalen, Jalen Hurts wins the Heisman Trophy this year, I, I just I think it's completely ridiculous that you have three different quarterbacks that are playing in a conference that decides defense is optional on most Saturdays that you're going to give the Heisman Trophy to three years in a row. Not to take anything away from Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray, but it, it's just absolutely crazy to me that they would, you know, just Dwayne keep Haskins giving it to it. a team that is just feeding stats to its starting quarterback every year and because of the well, system. That would just be crazy to me. And to reward that with a college football playoff spot after they were just barely able to squeak by Baylor and have had some other fairly close calls over the season – Utah has been much more impressive, I think. If they win that title game in the Pac-12, I think that they absolutely deserve to go over Bama or any other team that's going to be contending for that four spot. Yeah, I agree. I, and and uh, full disclosure, in my preseason predictions, I had Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, and Utah in the college football playoffs. So if wow. I get three out of the four, I will feel very, very good. Uh, I had LSU that. and I was feeling pretty good about that pick. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, I, I figured at some point Alabama had to not get in. So I just figured oh, I'll take the team from the East, but probably would have been better to go uh, with the Tigers from Death Valley uh, in the SEC. But I agree. I mean, look, I'm again, I try to be level headed. I try to look at things from a non biased fan perspective. And in years past, when there's been discussions about having two SEC teams in the college football playoff, I've understood it. Like, I, I mean, I get it. It is very possible for two of the best teams in college football to be in the same division. I understand that. This is not that, though. Both Alabama and LSU are very good teams. LSU is tremendous on offense. Their defense is not very good, which also plays into the fact that Joe Burrow is probably going to win the Heisman, doing something similar to what we've seen with the OU quarterbacks in the last few years, getting the opportunity to put up ridiculous numbers because his defense defense can't stop anybody. But that's the discussion we'll maybe get to here in a second. But Alabama's a fine team. They don't have their best player. If they're rewarded and put in there just because they play in the SEC, uh, I think that that says, like you said, more about the people picking than actually the teams that's playing on the field. So assume assuming they went out, and that's a huge if for Utah because they still have to play Oregon, who I think is still a very good team. I, I, I think Utah should have the edge, and I think that they are positioned to do that, being number six. I think they will jump Alabama if they win the conference title. Obviously, Georgia will fall back. So I, I think you and I are on the same page, assuming I – mean, I mean, I'm assuming you think that LSU and Clemson will win out. I do. I do want to caution, though. I don't think that that number one ranking for Ohio State is as solid as you do, just for the fact that if LSU ends up taking Georgia to the woodshed, I think that there's much more of an incentive for them to vault 
LSU back to number one, um, which obviously puts Ohio State in a more compromising position having to play Clemson, who they don't match up as well against. But if it ends up being a close game and Ohio State runs roughshod over whoever ends up coming out of the Big Ten West, uh, I think that they're definitely in a much better position. And I, you know, if Alabama were to get in at four and Ohio State's number one, I feel pretty good about that game. And I, I mean, totally. I would absolutely love to see Alabama get taken out behind the woodshed for a second time against Ohio State. So, you know what? No complaints if they there. get in, won't be the end of the world for me. But that's assuming that Ohio State stays at number one. Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody wants to see LSU Bama round two down to a uh, tag of Iloa. So. No, no, I yeah, I I feel pretty comfortable in saying that uh, Ohio State will keep their number one unless something crazy happens. Just because the committee had them number one first, and then LSU had the benefit of the doubt when they beat Alabama, but then Ohio State moved back. So I, they say they don't forecast things ahead. I just I would find it hard to believe that they would keep moving them back and forth. Um, especially when Ohio State would have built up some equity with uh, a few more late season quality wins than LSU would. So I, the committee's proven though that they are prisoners of the moment, and fair. I would argue that Georgia is a more impressive team, even though I, I don't know how not. much more impressive, but a more well. I mean, they are. By, they, no, they, you're right. Hey, based on the rankings, two big, it's coming from two guys to watch the Big Ten. I think yeah. if you ask most people on a national scale who's the more impressive team between the three, Georgia, Wisconsin, or Minnesota, pretty much everybody's going to say Georgia. That's um, true, but they're so they're they're it, still garbage. They're still not very good. I mean, yes, they are compared to those other two. You are one hundred percent right. Compared to the committee, or in in terms of the committee ranking, they are the best team, and I think they are probably the best team on a neutral field against those two teams. But they're just not that good. I mean, they're they're not they they have no dynamic offensive playmakers. Their defense is fine. Just, I just I'm tired of them. <laughs> I don't disagree with you, but I think the committee holds them in higher regard than you do. And for that reason, totally, I also totally don't true. think that they're that great. And that means that if Joe Burrow comes out and slings it like he has against pretty much everybody that's been in their way this year, they're going to look at that as, oh, my God, they just beat this Georgia team that was really, really good that isn't that good. And they Thank would you. maybe, you know, depending on the result of the Big Ten championship and the style points, want to vault them back to number one. So I don't I don't think it's as much of a lock as you do. Uh, I I would hope that the fact that Ohio State beats three very highly ranked teams in a row would give them a little bit more credibility for keeping that number one ranking. But I mean, hey, oh, they they beat Wisconsin 59 nothing uh, with Cardale Jones and vaulted themselves into the four spot. So they've yeah. they've proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, I think, that they'll be prisons of the moment with respect to the last week of college football. But yeah. I mean, the committee's hey, a joke. We, yeah, we got to get I, Well, that's a discussion for another time. But <laughs> yeah, uh, I look forward to having let's that get discussion. through Michigan first. <laughs> yeah, the committee's a joke. It's terrible. And it, we need to change the, the how this whole thing works. But we can get to that later. Um, eight teams. Yeah, I'm totally there with eight teams. Uh, power five champs, uh, one group of five uh, representative and two at larges. I don't see where the problem is with that. Anyway, Jeez. so let's let's round this up. You mentioned the Heisman Trophy a minute ago. Uh, at this point, I, I had an article that came out earlier this week on Wednesday that listed the the odds for all of the uh, players that are on the Heisman Trophy board. Joe Burrow is far and away the most likely candidate to win the Heisman Trophy. Next is Justin Fields. Next is Chase Young. And fourth, and the, oh, there's only four players currently on the board, was Jalen Hurts. I still 
think it's ridiculous that J.K. Dobbins is not getting any love, and I understand it has to do with the fact that he doesn't play much in the fourth quarter. I get that. But it is pretty ridiculous that the top three in terms of odds-on favorites to win the Heisman Trophy have all signed national letters of intent with Ohio State. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. <laughs> I mean, think I, about that, it. that would be an unbelievable image to have Joe Burrow giving a Heisman Trophy speech while Justin Fields and Chase Young sit in attendance. That that would be a pretty miraculous thing to see. Um, I I would hope Chase Young at least gets to go to New York. I yeah. something that absolutely shocked me was uh, Paul Feinbaum, who, as we know, is you know religious SEC devotee and you know Alabama bootlicker, uh, said if he he said he will be voting Chase Young for the Heisman Trophy, which I was absolutely blown away when he said that on national television on ESPN. But I think that. That really bodes well. The fact that even though he's missed these two games, I mean, if he has a great performance against Michigan, which I think that he will because Michigan's pass protection isn't very elite. Totally. Uh, he had the game of his life against Wisconsin. If they play Wisconsin again, you would think that in significantly better weather conditions in a controlled environment, he mm-hmm. would go off again there too. I I would love to see him finish second. And it would be so great even for him just to be there and box out Jalen Hurts uh I I'm not optimistic it's going to happen just because this has become such a quarterback award in the modern era I think Burrow's going to run away with it I I think even if he loses the SEC championship frankly it's his I I don't Fields it's weird man he's he's had a really really great year but you also feel like so much of it has just come so easy for him and I mean he's he's only had one uh, passing performance over 300 yards this year and it came against Rutgers and that's not a knock on him because obviously Ohio State's been killing every team and he hasn't been playing in the second half much but absolutely I'm with with you yeah I would actually probably have Justin Fields fifth if I was voting um you know I I I would personally pick Chase Young maybe that's a little biased but I think he is the best player in college football which is what the award is supposed to be I would have Joe Burrow I would have J.K. Dobbins and then I would have probably Jalen Hurts because, like you said, even though it is in the Big 12 where they do not play defense, the numbers are still pretty impressive. And then I would have Fields. I mean, I, it's just hard for me to look at what Justin Fields has done in terms of tangible, raw statistics and be able to put it in the same light as those other players. He's been fantastic. He has so far exceeded my expectations in terms of what I expected from him as a sophomore first-year starter. But I, I do find the the fact that he keeps getting this Heisman love to be a little surprising. I I do as well, but hey, I mean, I'll take it goes it. well for next year if it yeah. happens. Don't uh, get me wrong, I'll take it. I, I'd like to see it for next year. Definitely, I I think it came a little bit sooner than a lot of us realized, but yeah, I mean, you know, if he, hey, if he boxes out Jalen Hurts, I I'm not going to complain uh, at all. Yeah, uh, I will be fine. <laughs> I will be fine if it's Burrow, Fields, and Young in new york but i'm i'm kind of with you like if there's a group that i think is more incompetent than the college football playoff committee it's the heisman voters so i don't put a lot of trust in their ability to actually get chase young there but i do think the fact that people like paul feinbaum who i actually kind of like a little bit uh but him and other people in the media are, are very publicly saying that chase young deserves to be there i do think that bodes well because i do think the playoff or the uh the heisman trust is uh very persuadable by things that they hear and see on television because they don't really watch a lot of college football. Would you still like Feinbaum if I told you he picked Michigan to upset Ohio State this weekend? I mean, look, I like 
I like uh, Mike Greenberg a lot. Um, he, he's going to pick too, Michigan. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm totally fine with people being wrong. I mean, that's fine. As long as you <laughs> admit the fact that you're wrong. I mean, Greeny has championed Ohio State the last couple of seasons, especially when it came to Dwayne Haskins. So I'm fine with them having their opinions as long as they acknowledge the fact that they're dumb when they say dumb things. I which, think they did preface both of their – they picked it at the same time, I believe, and they prefaced it by saying that we both feel like idiots for saying this, but they still think yeah. it's going to happen anyway, which I think is kind of a, a cop-out way yes, of totally. you know trying to predict an upset. But, you know, they're they're the ones that get paid to do this. Have some guts. So. Have some guts, guys. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up here real quick, George. Um, I did not prep you, prep you for this, so uh, hopefully this doesn't throw you too off, and maybe you can get something off the top of your head. Do um, you have a score prediction for the game on Saturday? Um, I'm going to say, you know, I'm expecting a similar result with the Wisconsin game. Uh, I'm going to call it at, let's say, 35-10. All right, I think that's fair. Uh, I'm I have a podcast that comes out in this feed every Saturday morning that gives you all the details about the game that you need, and that's when I usually make my official prediction. So I am reserving the right to change it for Saturday morning. But for now, I'm feeling thirty-eight uh, yeah. thirteen. I think that that Michigan is going to have some plays, especially playing at home, knowing that this game needs a ton for not only their quarterback Shea Patterson but also their coach. I think that they'll be inspired. I think they'll they'll get a couple nice drives, maybe get a turnover especially in the in the in the weather and get a few points, but I don't see it being especially close. I see Ohio State completely dominating and covering, which they should have done the last two weeks as well, but uh, I I don't see it being anything that anyone should have to worry about, uh, especially assuming that Justin Fields is healthy. And I do want to point out, and I put up an article about this after the Rutgers game because Lord knows I wasn't going to do film analysis of the Rutgers game, (laughs) but if Ohio State wins on Saturday, they will pass Michigan in all-time program winning percentage. And Michigan has had the top winning percentage among Power 5 teams, I think for probably close to 100 years, maybe a little more than that. So this... I mean, between Harbaugh potentially being the first coach to go 0-5 in the history of the rivalry um, and, you know, with that sort of significant win for Ohio State, which, I mean, you know, for the first half of the 20th century got pretty much taken to the woodshed by Michigan at every available opportunity, and obviously the last 75-ish years have been a little more in Ohio State's favor, but for them to claw all the way back from, you know, the chasm that existed between these two programs to this point to now be able to overtake Michigan in direct competition. I mean, this I really think that this is the most significant game between these two teams since the the classic in the wake of Bo Schembechler's death in 2006. And I'm yeah. I'm about as excited as I have been in a really long time to see these two teams play each other. I I really can't wait, and I just hope it's going to be an absolute celebration of how dominant and smash-mouth this Ohio State team has been all season. Yeah, the the – if Ohio State wins, in addition to be able to overtake Michigan's all-time winning percentage, it will be the longest streak of wins at eight that Ohio State has ever had in the series. And currently, that would put them – at just seven games below 500 in the all-time series. And like you said, let's see, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. They were 
0-13-2 in their first 15 games, and yet this win would put them seven games below 500, but it would also put them five games above 500 in the last 101 years. They're currently in the last 100 years. There are four games above 500, which shows you how hard they've climbed out, especially in the last two decades under Jim Tressel and Urban Meyer. So I'm all for continuing all of that stuff, getting all those accolades and making Michigan man on Twitter just absolutely apoplectic. Uh, that's what's fun for me, and that's why that's more enjoyable than anything else that could happen during the regular season is just making Michigan feel bad about themselves. I say it every year. Hey, this team could go 1-11, and and if that one wins against Michigan, it's a great season. Uh, it's, I don't know that's, if I'm going that how, far. I don't know if I'm going to go that far. You know far what? That's how much this game – I'm coming from Chicago, and that's how much that's this fair. game means to me. I, I absolutely love the opportunity to see maize and blue tears roll down the faces of oh. those Wolverines. So I – it's just so delicious to me. I, I would drink it all day, all <laughs> week, all year if I could. Nothing. I There is nothing that I love to see more at towards the end of the season than sad Michigan fans. So you know what? I just, just bring on the carnage. I, I love to see it. Love it. Yeah, nothing better than going over to MGO blog uh, after a particularly ugly loss for uh, for the team up north. So hopefully we'll get a chance to do that on Saturday afternoon. Of course, Ohio State and Michigan will kick off at noon as the big noon game on Fox, the game of the week with Joel Clatton, Gus Johnson, and Jenny Taft. The pregame show, Big Noon Kickoff, of course, featuring Urban Meyer, will be coming to you from Ann Arbor as well. Uh, enjoy the game. If you don't already subscribe to these podcasts, make sure that you go to your favorite podcasting application and subscribe so that you get all of the Land Grant Holy Land podcasting goodness downloaded directly into your device as soon as it becomes available. George, where can people find you on the social meds? Uh, at Easy Eyes, E-A-S-Y-E-I-S. It's, uh, it's the best place to get me on Twitter. Yep, and you can follow the site at LandGrant33. And I'm on Twitter at BWW Matt. So with all of that out of the way, George, there's only one thing that we have left to say, and that's go Bucks. Oh, I was going to say fuck Michigan, but I don't know if this is a family show. No, it's, it's fine. I think <laughs> I, I think because of our old hosts uh, that this is still considered an explicit podcast. So that's cool. <laughs>